Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger recognizes the complexities of today's fire ground and the multitude of incidents that require firefighters to step into areas of increased risk. Draeger's firefighting equipment gives you the confidence to concentrate on the task at hand. Learn more at Draeger.com. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. From Hope, BC, I'm Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. The ever-changing role of the association when it comes to fire, uh, fire departments, fire services across Canada is always an interesting topic. And today, uh, pleased to be joined by uh, Chief Mark McDonald uh, from uh, from Cramie, Ontario, and uh, the fire service there, uh, more so the president of the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs. And uh, uh, Mark, thank you very much for taking the time today. Well, thanks very much, Tom, and it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. So Colburn, Ontario is where you are, is that right? Or the fire department's Cramie, or is it Cramie, Ontario? Yeah, it's it's Cramie Township. Uh, it's, it's a township about 225 square kilometers, and uh, about 6,700 people, and there's two villages, um, about a about a thousand person village and about a 500 person village. Uh, and Colborne is is the main hub hub uh, hub town uh, for the municipality along the 401 corridor between between Toronto and Kingston uh, on Lake Ontario's North Shore. You must have a wide array of of call types. I'm sure. What what what's the uh, what's the challenge in in, in for your people? Well, we certainly have a, a makeup of uh, a largely rural, um, so there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of farming occurs in this area. We are also, in a, uh, geologically speaking, we're we're sort of a uh, in in a, in a glacial uh, formations where there's quite a number of rolling hills and stuff. So, and the 401 corridor, of course, the 401 is a very busy highway, and uh, although we don't have a show like the Coquihalla that rivals uh, the big wrecking. Uh, big wrecking uh, scenes, but we do have uh, the 401 corridor through area because of the lake, uh, the lakefront, we do get a lot of uh, streamers coming off the lake. So we get, end up with a lot of winter, uh, pretty nasty winter calls involving transports and, and cars and, and the like. So Auto X and, uh, is certainly a big part of what our department does along the 401 corridor. The, I'm always amazed at the, the, the risk challenges and how much they vary by community. Uh, no matter where you go in Canada, you know, not every fire department does the same things based on what they have to face. Correct? Well, absolutely. Yeah, I always, I always said I want a fire department that doesn't have the 401 and doesn't have CP rail and doesn't have CN rail. <laughs> but I've never been able to escape any one of those three <laughs> in the uh, in the four fire departments I've been with. Uh, you, you just uh, there's lots of transportation and people are always on the move, and with that comes uh, comes inherent risks. What, what, what's the makeup of your fire department? What are, what are your challenges for members? Uh, well, we have, uh, we're, we're a two-station department, uh, about 30 members. Um, uh, certainly the challenge, and I, think, I don't think it's unlike a lot of volunteer departments across the country right now, is the, the, the recruitment and the retention. Certainly, uh, it, it's, it's much more difficult compared to 30 years ago to, to get people that can be free to come out to the evening training sessions, uh, make themselves available during the day, and then commit to weekend uh, training and, and weekend responses as well. It's very challenging right now to try to find uh, people that can commit the amount of time that's needed uh, to make sure that we have our firefighters trained and ready to respond. And then to hold them long enough, because you know, as you as you as you well know, that there's a significant uh, 
time and capital investment in, in bringing uh, onboarding new firefighters. And, and so you want them to stay with you uh, and you have to keep making it interesting. And you still have to have some fun along the way. Uh, because if, if you just make it so serious and, and so regimented, then, then people quickly realize, well, you know, I'm not doing this for, for, for the big bucks. I'm doing this for my community. Uh, and uh, so we, we try to make sure that uh, you want to make it interesting, you want to make it vibrant, and, uh, and you want to make sure you're constantly getting that feedback from them as to where they would like to see some things to keep them engaged. When a member, you know, comes to you and says, I didn't sign up for this, and no, it's not the right member. <laughs> Yeah, and and that certainly uh, does happen. And I mean, when when you when we talk about you know the mental health and, and peer support in the, in the in the public for public safety responders is is quite often. And I think if, you know we go back to the start of our careers. Um, we really didn't know what we were signing up for. We just wanted to help out in the community. And then you go to those first few traumatic calls, and then you realize, wow, like this is this is not really what I wanted my day to go like. And these people are having a really bad day. And, and we, unfortunately, we get to see sometimes people in their absolutely worst possible moment they're going to have in their life. We carry that filing cabinet of memories with us. So it's, it's, it's coping with that and, and then building that resiliency into our, into our new recruits as we bring them on board. Uh, you know, how engage them, uh, let them know that there's programs out there, let them know there's support. Uh, we really uh, encourage here uh, the, the, the post-call tailgate. Uh, quick diffusing. We have a SISM team that's actually based uh, for the region that's based out of here. Uh, that represents uh, there's clinicians and, and responders on that on that team. Uh, but even just those tailboard talks at the end of a call to sort of, especially when you have new people, because uh, they may be seeing something for the first time that you've seen a hundred times, and and uh, and you can see in their faces and and when their body language, they're not perhaps coping with it as well as uh, as they should be or as well as they. Uh, they think they should be. So you have to tell them that it's, it's normal to feel abnormal at times. Important. It's, it, it's always a challenge, you know, when people, especially the new people come out, it's also a challenge for us in our world now, seeing more and more people that we've trained to a certain level be taken into the bigger leagues, if you will. I've always said we're, we're more of a farm team now for the big leagues, for the folks heading on to the career departments. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's how, uh, a lot of us got our start. You know, I, I started in, in the uh, in the criminal justice system, and I was a volunteer firefighter, and and then I just I got to loving firefighting, and and uh, had an opportunity to get on a career department, and and I certainly recognize that, and I think most chiefs recognize that you are going to be you're going to be a feeder into into the larger career departments, and and we do have members that are on larger departments that have stayed in this area to live. Uh, so we get the benefit of, um, you know, they protect the large community that they're employed by, but they also get on their days off to come back and protect their, their friends and neighbors on their days off. You've been involved with the Ontario Fire Chiefs or Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs, uh, the OAFC, for, for a number of years, uh, acting now with the executive as the president. Um, uh, tell me about that. I mean, what's it like in the role in this, this time? I mean, we've gone through the past 18 months or so, you know, of a, of a world of change. How has that changed the way uh, you try and manage an association like that? It's been very challenging, and I think I think every association is is going through that. I mean, um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest things we do as an association is we, we have our we have our annual trade show and conference, which which uh, draws people internationally. Um, 
but then there's the networking aspect and and responders in general we're, we're social creatures we got in we got in this business to help other people and to want to make sure other people are safe and 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 the networking piece is so critical and uh, not being able to see those uh, those faces at our conferences not being able to have the the talk out in the lobby and and uh, catch up on some old times for for people you haven't seen in maybe one or two years at the conference and then be able to have those uh, those uh, hot topic sessions where people are learning new information and they're seeing the latest in technology. Uh, everything's been virtual and and it's been uh, it's been a real challenge to flex to that and and of course the association you know requires funds to keep operating and those those events are what kept our our association operating. So we really have to do had to do a major budget uh, shuffle and. And, and it, it did impact some staff in the office. Um, and we're asking fewer staff to do a lot more. Uh, so we're very cognizant of that. And we're certainly watching with bated breath whenever the next announcement comes out from public health about what the next phase of reopening looks like. Um, and at this point in time, because we have to commit to the, uh, to the venues quite early in advance to host those major events, uh, we we had to go virtual for our uh, for our trade show that was postponed till this fall, and the uh, and the annual general meeting. So our hope is the January of 22, our labor relations seminar. We're really hoping that could be our first in-person event, and and quite interestingly, that was our last in-person event in 29 in 2020. So it'll be exactly two years that we haven't been able to have an in-person event. And I think I think like everyone else, I'm. We're pretty much full of Zoom and and Teams meetings. You know, we would just want to sit down with someone face to face and have a good old conversation. How is that going to look? You know, from a conference perspective, when people get together, it's not going to be the same. I, it's just not the same. And are people going to shake hands? Are they going to hug? Are they going to what? What? What's the mood? And how much networking time do you really think, or do you even have? Will people want to go into sessions again? I I don't know what it's going to be like. No, absolutely. And, and I think that uh, that's the big question mark. I mean, you know, are we are we still going to be donning masks out of out of, uh, you know, to err on the side of caution? Are we still going to be wearing masks at all major venues? And and uh, uh, but, you know, I watched uh, some of the, the NHL playoff games in the States and that it didn't seem to be a concern. So, uh, you know, when I, I was quite shocked to see that many people, you know, piled in 16,000 people into a stadium. So. I mean, I'm really hoping that these vaccines, uh, people are getting vaccinated, and I and I hope this this uh, this uh, variant of concern that's so strong, the Delta variant. I hope that we we find a solution to that, or that it that it's able to be isolated enough that it that it no longer exists. But yeah, I'm, you know, even just talking amongst family members, you know, the discussion was we'll probably be wearing a mask into a grocery store for the next three or four years, you know, just just because. Uh, we don't want to go back to what it looked like in March and April of 2020. And then again, in uh, this past fall where we hit that next phase or next wave. Um, and, and people we, in, in general, we are a social, we're a social creature. And, and uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think there's been probably a record number of retirements in the fire service. When I look at, uh, at, uh, at job vacancies that are being posted across, across the country is I think, there were people that just said, you know what, I, I think now's the time I just need to change. And, and that concerns um, us as an association. 
because we worry about succession planning and mentorship, and it's really uh, it's really hard to draw people into management. You, you're competing with the 24-hour shift in a lot of cases, which is you know going to work eight shifts a month. You're, you're there's there's a huge wage compression issue where often with with some benefits and some and uh, and maybe overtime and such that that the money is is almost identical, and the 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 commitment that it takes to go into fire management, you know it, it's it's a big chair uh, and it's a very different chair from you know, I came up through the ranks uh, in Belleville uh, at, when I got on the career and I I was a firefighter uh, acting captain fire prevention captain deputy then chief and and it's the problems I had as a captain <laughs> were not the same problems I had as a chief and and the challenges and um when you come up through the ranks there's there's people often think that there's an easy solution you're the chief you can just make that happen but they don't understand the other 50 to 100 variables that are entering into your decision on a daily basis because of the domino effect with just about any decision you make and and i've had some really really sharp firefighters who i've tried to say you know you should look at look at the leadership courses look at getting involved in fire management and quite simply, they say, well, why would I do that? Why would I put myself through that? But my response always, well, if, if you don't do it, then who's going to be leading the fire service? And I think that that's one thing as an association we're working on is, is a chief mentorship package. And we have a couple of our chief officers who are who are younger. They're really working hard on putting together sort of a welcome package and, and sort of a, a guide book, if you will, to say, if you want to be a chief officer in Ontario, here's some resources you can go to. Here's some course offerings you can take. Here's some experiences you can get involved with to make sure it's it's right for you. And I had always dreamed of having a mentorship program, and I'm still going to continue to, to work on that, to let people see a snapshot of what chief officers do in a day to see if it works for them, because I think that there's there's opportunities there to do that. And And if not you, then who? It's, it's a good point. It's something I never thought of in terms of, you know, the people that are retiring in the last, you know, things have changed in, in the last uh, you know couple of years almost now. And uh, yeah, for those associations that have had succession planning with second vices, first vices, ready to move up and that time's gone now. And, and who's, who's taking the, who's taking it next. And, and that's our, on our board, we've had retirements uh, during their term of office and, um, and, and then you, fill you, you fill the vacancies, but, uh, and it's a big time commitment when you're a volunteer board member. Uh, you know, there's uh, some associations offer, a, you know, a stipend or an honorarium, um, but we're totally a volunteer. We're a volunteer board of directors. Uh, this is this is uh, above what our what our regular jobs are, but but we do that to to that's the give back to make sure the fire service in Ontario is, is keeping on that leading edge of, of innovation and excellence. Tell me, tell me about the role that uh, that your association, that OAFC, played uh, during during COVID at the at the initial outset. What was the reach out? What was the uh, resource to the fire service in in your province? Well, I think we worked with the fire marshal's office, um, and we have a really good relationship with the office of the fire marshal. Um, and uh, we we talk often, uh, regularly with the fire marshals, uh, with the fire marshal. And with the uh, Solicitor General's office uh, of the of the of government, so you know, early on we we were working on the obviously the PPE, uh, making sure that everybody had the proper PPE to get out to the departments, especially our our more remote departments that didn't have the supply chain that that maybe the larger urban departments uh, did. So a lot of the larger urban departments were able to offer up 
some stock of PPE and stuff to make sure that everybody had some level of protection. And it was, it was really great to see that there was a lot of networking going on to make sure that we had equipment uh, spread out across the province, much in a sort of a, I'll call it a medical mutual aid, if you will. We were, we were, you know, moving stuff back and forth and trying to help each other out to make sure everybody had the supplies they, they needed at the beginning of the pandemic. And, and, uh, and of course, shifting our whole training, you know, all of our in-person training had to change. The, the the candidates that were going through their their firefighter one and firefighter two, a lot of that was suspended. So we we now have a significant backlog of of, of recruits and students that need to be do their final practicals and sign-offs. So uh, you know we know that that's going to be extremely busy. Uh, we were able to do uh, Ontario Fire Administration, which is uh, a wing of the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs that does the candidate testing. We were able to do the candidate testing, but at a much reduced uh, capacity. So a lot of the the departments that are that are clients that utilize our candidate testing lists uh, were struggling to fill vacancies because they simply didn't have enough uh, recruits on the list to be able to uh, do the interviews and get, and get the people hired. So we we know there's going to be a big push as things open up for uh, a lot of recruits to be uh, screened and tested and 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 hired by by the larger urban departments, because a number of them are, are, are several uh, several members, if not dozens of members short right now. And of course, that, that leads to the effect of, uh, you know, staff burnout for those that have to work and maybe cover shifts because of a, a you're below the minimum staffing. So you're having to keep people over and, uh, you know, it has a, it has a real big domino effect on, on the, on the continuation, the business continuity for the fire service. So a lot of businesses, a lot of industries, a lot of different, uh, you know, different uh, different industries, different types of services have come out of this pandemic experience. Uh, I, I think in a positive way. There are there are some positives to find here. Would you would you come across any positives for your association or or any provincial association? What can we what can we what can we rescue or I guess what can we take from this that that we learn from and, and get better? I think in many ways we learn that the virtual platform was a great way to have meetings for groups of people that were spread out across the province more efficiently. Uh, we didn't have to drive for two and a half hours to meet at a central location. Uh, we do an online learning series right now where we have a guest uh, a guest uh, expert, content expert, who will speak about uh, a topic. And we do the monthly. And we, we sort of did that as a void to fill during not being able to run the, you know, the regular conferences and stuff. And they've been very well received. So we learned that we, these these little, I'll call them pop-up educational experiences have worked really well. Uh, we did find that Zoom has a limit of probably two to three hours. Um, I think the the educational experts would say that, you know, probably an hour and a half is probably the limit for a Zoom session before you have to at least give them a, a bit of a break to get away from the screen and then come back again. So, but uh, certainly for the one positive I've takeaway is, is I've been able to meet face-to-face, albeit virtually, but I've been able to have a lot of meetings with government, with, with other stakeholders, with partner organizations quickly and efficiently without having to do the driving and arranging for travel and accommodation and all that. And, and I, think, I think we learned that we can do a lot through virtual meetings and maybe have fewer in-person and more virtuals. And then able to have them more regularly so that the, the the grocery list of the agenda doesn't get so long that you end up with a four-hour meeting. You know, break it down to three one-hour meetings uh, and it's a little bit more digestible. You, you, is that the future uh, moving forward for your association and your executive to 
to get together more via this uh, this platform of Zoom, et cetera, the virtual platforms? I, I do see a, I do see moving forward. It will be a mix of, of, of virtual and then in, still have probably some in-person meetings. Most of them could be probably leveraged around the times of our different conferences. So we're already together anyway, but uh, certainly, you know, one or two, probably, you know, a few meetings a year in person, especially when the board is newly elected. The, we went to an offset election process. So the six members are voted every other year for a two-year term. So we never have a complete board turnover, which is a very good thing. So when we onboard our new board members, obviously we would have to have uh, an in-person with our uh, with our consultants to make sure that their their uh, onboarding package is covered and they, uh, they understand all the, the duties and obligations of being a, a director on a board. But I think a lot of the time it's been actually been very uh, convenient to be able to call a fairly short notice meeting, uh, send out a quick, uh, a doodle poll of who's available when and send out the zoom invite and boom there's 14 people meeting uh, with less than a day's notice you could never pull that off in the real world there's a lot of um people departments involved in associations and if we want to finish off our discussion today maybe talk about like we're a national we have a national audience obviously a, a lot of our, our listeners uh, tuning in from, you know, Ontario and BC and familiar with, with associations. What would you tell a department, a person, a fire chief, uh, why they should get involved with a particular provincial association, for example? It is imperative that we get the feedback from the, from the broad representation of the fire service in the, in the, in the province. Uh, we represent from the smallest Northern Fire Department to the, the to the largest fire department in Canada and the fifth largest in North America. Um, and it's really important that we get that feedback and that we get engagement because although departments can vary greatly in size, in many ways, the duties of the firefighters are quite similar. And um, often the best experience to get is somebody else's rather than having to experience it yourself. <laughs> I found it for myself when I first became a chief and, and uh, got involved with the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs as a member was being able to have that, that group knowledge that I could reach out at any time and, and find out about a, a situation and, and come to find out that, shocker, I wasn't the first person to go through that situation. <laughs> I, was, I was a long way down the line, but, you know, and that's the benefits to, to getting involved in the association is it is, it is the members association. And right now we're doing strategic planning and we're doing focus groups with our members uh, because we want to make sure we're meeting the needs of our members. And that's where, you know, let, let's let's figure out our path forward. We can't be everything to everybody, but we can figure out those top four or five issues. And let's move that that football down the field and get it past the goal line. And I think that that's uh, that's where the association has has its greatest horsepower is in the synergy of everyone uh, becoming engaged and involved. I hope I look forward to uh, getting together in the future in person sometime. <laughs> Let's hope it's sooner than later. Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate your time today. Thanks very much, Tom. Take care. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Drager, your trusted safety solution provider. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.